0: Hi, it's Ellen, and today we're going to be talking about the Nazi policy towards the Jews in the early years of World War II. So, our time frame is primarily 1939 up to the introduction of the final solution. So, let's talk about the Einsatzgruppen first. This was a paramilitary unit responsible for killings in World War II. In September 1939, Germany invaded Poland, and the Einsatzgruppen killed thousands of Polish Jews. To give you an idea about the scale of this, by the end of World War II, 90% of the Jewish population in Poland had been killed. The Einsatzgruppen were were Nazi paramilitary death squads, and they were under the control of Himmler. The Einsatzgruppen were in charge of murdering the Jewish communities in countries Germany invaded. Their techniques included mass shootings, beatings and burnings. So just to re-emphasise the scale of destruction and the Holocaust, by the end of World War II, 90% of the Jewish population in Poland had been killed. A technique for controlling Jewish communities was ghettos, and these were parts of cities which um, housed Jews in, and it segregated them from the non-Jewish community. The creation of ghettos was very random and was a non-uniform process across Poland and other countries in Europe. This tells us that they were built in response to local circumstances. For example, the first ghetto in Poland was created in October 1939. However, the last one was created in March 1941. Ghettos were overcrowded, short of water, short of food and short of electricity. Disease, starvation and even death by thirst were rife. For example, in Warsaw, the ghetto was 15% of the city's housing, um, and it was responsible for housing a third of the city's population. So you can imagine how um, confined quarters everyone was in. If Jews tried to leave the ghetto without permission, it could result in being an execution. Ghettos were run by Nazi-appointed Jewish councils and Jewish police forces. So just to reiterate that the the creation of ghettos was non-uniform and dependent upon local situations, as the first ghetto in Poland was created in October 1939, with the last one being created in March 1941. So there was no set plan on how to deal with Jews during World War Two, and it's clear that Nazi policy evolved over time. Originally, the plan was to send them to Madagascar. Um, And this was the plan um, until mid-1941. However, soon became apparent that this transportation to Madagascar would not be feasible. Therefore, deportations to death camps began. By the winter of 1941, over 700,000 Jews had been killed in German-controlled territory, mainly by mass shootings. From October 1941 onwards, mass deportations of Jews began. German Jews were sent to Eastern European camps, and these camps included Kelmo, Treblinka and Auschwitz-Birkenau. These Jews mostly died by gassings and the first mass gassings was in December 1941 at Kelmo. In total, 60% of all Jews were killed by gassing in World War II. So in just terms of the initial plans for the Jews during World War II, it was originally um, to force their emigration to Madagascar. However, as this became unfeasible, um, deportations to death camps began. There's been considerable historical debate over the Holocaust. Currently, the historic, historiography has shown that it was not just the Nazis who drove the Holocaust, but local populations too. For example, the German government in Poland were in charge of the ghettos. Furthermore, the municipal authority in Vienna began anti-Semitic policies of excluding Jewish children from as early as 1938, so far before they had been invaded. So let's see the debate about why people acted in the Holocaust. Friedlander uses the idea of redemptive anti-Semitism, and he claims that this drove behaviour of the German people and argues that this ideology was central to understanding the Holocaust. Ali presents a more functionalist interpretation. He argues that the Holocaust was driven by materialist concerns and to free up living space for the resettlement of Germans. Kershaw claims the German population knew about the Holocaust and that until 1943, no one openly discussed it. However, after the Allied bombings in 1943, the Germans compared the Holocaust to their own suffering. And there's another debate about who acted in the Holocaust. Gross says it was not just Germans who drove the Holocaust, but ordinary citizens in Eastern European countries. He uses evidence from Poland to show that neighbours helped kill Jews. This suggests that the Holocaust was driven by local populations as well as Nazis. Goldhagen says that every German in the army was a, quote, willing executioner of the Jews and that they were motivated to do so by their anti-Semitism. Browning, on the other hand, argues that it was ordinary men in the army who were not solely driven by the obsessive anti-Semitic ideology. So in terms of examples of local initiatives driving the Holocaust, we have the General Government in Poland running ghettos, and an example is how the Vienna Government began to um, exclude Jewish children from schools from 1938 onwards. There's been a range of interpretations about the motivations behind the Holocaust. Ali presents a functionalist one by arguing that the Holocaust was driven by the desire to free up living space for the resettlement of Germans. Um... And in terms of who acted in the Holocaust, Gross argues it was not just Germans who drove the Holocaust, but ordinary people in Eastern European countries. Goldhagen describes every German as being a willing executioner, whereas Browning describes ordinary men as being the drivers of the Holocaust, who were not driven by an obsessive anti-Semitic ideology. Thank you very much for listening to this episode about um, anti-Semitic policies during World War II. Next time we're going to Delve into life during World War II and its impact on Germany. If this episode has got you in the mood for more revision, then head over to senecalearning.com where you can revise all of your A level subjects absolutely free. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, then you will find a link in the bio. But if not, just type in senecalearning.com and you'll find us. While you're at it, if you could rate us five stars and subscribe or follow to all of our revised podcasts which cover every subject you need then that will help other people to find our podcasts.